Aussies wearing economic cost as prices rise. Morrison gives a little more, but still no wage subsidy. Gladys extends lockdown in Sydney while Dan reopens Victoria. The capital riot hearings begin, and the good news is on recycling and PFAS. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. From a slightly less locked down Victoria, I am being joined by Van Badham, who is in the deep throes of the fourth week of a lockdown, with four more weeks at least to go. Speculation is it may be even longer. But Van, how are you going? What, what What's it like? You know... We miss you so much here. The, the dog will not stop hassling me. I think he thinks I've murdered you. Oh, puppy. Um, well, how am I going? It's pretty bleak, Ben, I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen you for one month and one day, which is a lot of time. Uh, I'm obviously in Sydney with my mum, who is unwell, and uh, today is a very grey day in Sydney, and... It, it tends to reflect the, the mood that things aren't getting better here. Lockdown has been extended for another month. You know, I'm just so... I'm, I'm, I've been so angry that I am now tired. Like, it's physically exhausting to be this angry and frustrated yeah. about how badly the New South Wales government handled this when everybody warned them about the onset of the crisis. And, of course, now we are here... I've got to acknowledge, though, I have been a recipient, and my mum has, of some incredible kindness from people who've sent flowers. And I got a message this morning that somebody had a pie, beautiful spanakopita, oh, my God, delivered to the house to cheer us up because they know, you know, our situation's pretty rough. And that's made a lot of difference. And I just want to encourage anybody who has loved ones interstate in, um, in New South Wales and in Sydney, to, to reach out, like send the card you've been thinking of sending or the pie or the flowers or the, you know, dash hound face mask or, or whatever it just is. A, just a phone call even. A phone call, yeah, like maybe not Zoom. I think we're all a bit Zoomed yeah, out. Maybe not, zoomed you know, party room or whatever. It's house party, party room. Oh, my God. Um, like, yeah, reach out and check in. But I am just, you know, I, I just feel these days I'm in a relationship with my truck suit pants. Like we're just spending so much time together and I sort of get, I feel a bit lost whenever the truck suit pants go in the wash. Like I don't really know wh- what to wear or where to sit or how to feel. It's a bit much. I have acquired a bicycle and I'd like to thank my friend Dee who helped me on Facebook with the bicycle purchase, um, which has given me a, a good you know, a, a bit of freedom in terms of my own exercise routine and not feeling so cooped up in the house. But it's so hard. What is this, my sixth lockdown? If I've yeah. been locked down six times, I can't even remember. I'm losing all track of time. Yeah, and look, we'll talk We'll talk more about the COVID situation today. Obviously, you know, we've talked we, – this is our 48th episode, um, not counting weekend wraps and special episodes, and I think we've talked about COVID in every single one of them because it has just been such a dominant – such a dominant spectre over the lives of us all. Um, but I, It's I do- so interesting because people are like, 
um, why wasn't there more like art and culture made about the pandemic in 1918, like when the Spanish influenza, as they called it, was not from Spain, but never mind, yeah. um, travelled the world, a bit of casual Western European racism there, um, and killed like millions and millions and millions of people, killed more people than were killed in World War One, which is kind of amazing. But it's like, why didn't we talk about it? And it's like, because who would want to talk about this? It's awful. It's it's cloistered yeah. and sad and bleak and there's a spectre of death. And I swear to God, when we're when we're over it, when we're out of this pandemic, I will never talk about it again. I might mention it to my children like late on a on a windy night, like some kind of horrible horrible moral ghost story about how not to run a freaking government. So yeah, it's pretty hard. Does that answer your question, Ben? It's a bit hard, a bit hard at this end. It's a bit hard at that end. And look, I, I do want to thank people who have reached out and, and particularly those who have um, sent, you know, um, sent little gifts or, or cards. Um, and, I, and I raise that in particular because, Van, the, the first story I do want to talk about today is that inflation is up, which means the cost of living in Australia has gone up. Um, so people... Uh, are now are now worse off. There's no question. Wages are up one and a half percent. Inflation is up three point eight percent. I don't want to spend too much time on this because I understand not everyone is as excited by economics as I am. Oh come on! The way you ex- <laughs> the way you explain it, Ben, it's just electric. That's well, what I fell for. I saw your <laughs> handsome face across the world, the room, and I thought. That's the guy who's going to talk to me about the limitations of market planning in you know delivery of public services. Well, and it's interesting you say that because the the failure of the market to deliver services is one of the things that some of the what I call non real world economists are suggesting is a reason to not panic about this three point eight percent increase in prices because part of it is made up of an increase in electricity costs. Uh, due to WA ending a rebate scheme uh, and also it's being compared to a period where the Commonwealth was actually providing childcare for free. Who'd have thought it? Free childcare. Remember those heady days? Um, Or whatever, like basic sensible government policy. Like most of Northern Europe, most of, yeah, the civilised world. But so the non-real world economists are going, oh, look, you know, it's just a blip, it's just a blip. But I think uh, when, you, when you look at some of the commentary by some of the real world economists, people who are often described as labour market economists or social democratic economists. Um, Neo-Keynesians. Neo-Keynesian economists. Girls, get yourself a Neo-Keynesian, that's all I can say. <laughs> That's right, Neo Keynesians. We do it for the state. Um, so the the underlying costs, right? And anybody who's been to a, a shop or a supermarket, lockdown or not, is going to know that the costs have gone up, right? Vegetables are up five and a half percent. Fruit four point seven percent. And you know, you want a piece of beef? Well, beef's up three point six. So the cost of mince. One one uh, one bloke was quoted in a, in an article on the ABC going, the mince I used to buy for six dollars is costing me ten. You know, if you're buying steaks, good on you. That's costing you even more. Now, this is absolutely absolutely crunching people's household budgets at the same time as you've got 
millions of Australians losing income because of lockdowns, because the vaccine hasn't been rolled out. And, and of course, we've seen the, the Australian union movement call for a return of JobKeeper. Uh, to well, of deal course, with there of should be a re- return of JobKeeper. You have to pay people to stay at home. And if you want the economy to keep going, you have to keep putting money into it. JobKeeper solves two problems. One, it stops casualised, exploitable labour from being put into unsafe, very COVID-ripe conditions because it pays people to stay home so they don't pick up and share the virus. But it also deals with the it deals with the effects of uh, it compensates the idea that if you're not people aren't going to the shops because they're closed and if people have been laid off because shops are closed and they're not spending money, you give them money to spend. There are plenty of things to buy online, so of course JobKeeper should come back. And today I saw the uh, Australian unions have welcomed. Morrison's little increases, so you know that's a, that's a good thing. It's yeah, but why wasn't it pegged at this rate a week ago? Or oh, two I weeks totally ago? agree. Totally agree. So with if you. it's logical today for it to be seven hundred and fifty dollars, why was it not logical two weeks ago for it to be seven hundred and fifty dollars? And look, Alison Pennington, who's one of the people I'd call a real world economist, writes for the uh, works for the Center for Future Work. She's written in the Guardian, a you material know, reality economist. Yeah, that's right. Um, that 400,000 people in Sydney were losing work income and getting no additional support up until this announcement, these announcements today. So just to cover them off, Morrison has extended the disaster payment amount from 600 to 750, which is what JobKeeper ended at, which is what the union movement was calling for. He just makes it up as he goes along. Totally, well totally. done. Great. If, awesome. Fantastic. And if you've lost less than- Does he than throw t- in a free commuter car park with that? Like how much electoral <laughs> trouble is he in? Well, he must be in a fair bit because he's also lifted the amount for people who've lost less than 20 from 375 to 450, which again was the JobKeeper equivalent. But he's also announced a top-up payment for people on welfare payments, in inverted commas, Van, who were doing some work. Now, these are the people you were just talking about. These are the people who, because of the insecure nature of their work, because of the underemployment that is so systemic in the economy that Morrison runs, have to rely on welfare payments and support to pay the rent, even though they're working, even though they'd like to work more in, in most cases. So they were getting nothing for the last month in Sydney, nothing. They got nothing in Victoria except from the Victorian government. And now he's saying they're going to get $200 uh, as a top-up if they've lost eight hours a week of work, eight hours of work a week or more. So that's clearly he's in some electoral trouble. Clearly, he's in some electoral trouble because that's four hundred thousand people in Sydney <laughs> that that he has suddenly realised he's got to throw a bone to, um, and quite frankly, it's it's still. I mean, this should have been done a month ago. This should have and been, it, and it should be done unilaterally. Like, great. So he's giving enough money to live on to people in Sydney because there are lockdowns and pandemic here. Well, what about people in regional Queensland where the youth unemployment rate is 20% in your town and yet those people are still on less than subsistence welfare support from the government? Like, wages are too low. 
jobs are casualized and insecure and unstable. People are underworking. There is a there is an absolute unprecedented historical crisis of underemployment in this country, but because he's in trouble in Sydney, Sydney people can have some money. Like it's just it's total madness and it is just so slipshod. There is no planning. There is no strategy. There is obviously no overwhelming ideological principle that has to do with supporting Australians with work opportunities or enough money to live on. But Liberals don't believe that. They give as little as possible based on an electoral calculation of where they might lose votes. And I, and I think, Van, this is a good time for us to plug our sponsor, Australian Unions, because... Well, wonderful. Absolute heroes and champions of the working class, hands down. Congratulations to Sally, Michelle, Liam and Scott for their re-election as the leadership of the ACTU, which I believe happened this week, yes, doing an yep. absolutely fantastic job fighting for all working people in this country. Because they have they have really pushed, you know, unions right across the country have pushed to get those those payments up. They've pushed to get vaccines into the arms of essential workers, you know, whether they're in aged care or in healthcare, uh, in disability support, you know, and retail, retail The SDA had a big victory yeah. this week about getting vaccines prioritised for people who work in retail and service industries. Congratulations, guys. That's awesome work. And it's absolutely the right time to join your union because it's the union movement that is actually pushing this this prime minister of ours, this politicking absentee chicken coop builder to to do things. Like it's actually making a difference. And that's how you can be part of the positive change is to become part of your union, to participate. You know, you can go to Australian Unions, all one word, .org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday, and you can join your union today. And what better time than now to join? I just want to give everybody a historical lesson. So we had that period in Australia, 23 years of uninterrupted Liberal Party rule, um, with the elections of election of Menzies in 49, 23 years, lasted until 1972 and with some other Liberals and I think the occasional country party person thrown in. But Australia was actually a lot more equal, like economically equal during that time and that was because more Australians were members of unions and they could fight and protect their conditions and the conditions of economic parity by putting pressure on a Liberal government and organising and having power in the workplace. You know, if you think things should be more equal and more fair and you're not a member of a union, make the links. It's a tax deduction. Join the movement. That's it. That's it. And I want to congratulate all of our listeners who have reached out and said that they've mm-hmm. joined their union after listening to The Week on Wednesday. Um, we love that. That's our favourite kind of fan mail. Yeah, it's it like a bunch is. of flowers in every email. It really is. Um, so I just want to – I do want to talk about the, the lockdown situation and, and then, Van, you know, w- when we talk about this um, – We'll, we'll, we'll talk uh, about what happened on the weekend. Obviously, anybody who's listened to the weekend rap will have heard my um, my Howl of mate. despair. Ben, <laughs> I love you and I think you are the bee's knees. It was one of the most depressing things I've ever listened to in my life. And 
people will uh, undoubtedly be pleased to know that Van has um, given me some upbeat theme music for next week's week, next weekend's weekend wrap. Yes, and- listeners, I've launched an intervention because <laughs> I'm like, if I want to hide under a quilt after Ben's weekend wrap, I, I I really can't imagine what it might be doing to the rest of our listening public. So I found some jazzy theme music, and we'll be launching a structural intervention so we never get quite so blue again. That's right. So, look, let's talk about the lockdown because Gladys has extended the lockdown in Sydney for another four weeks. It's now due to continue until the end of August. Um, There was 177 cases today. That takes the total active cases in New South Wales to 2,175. I mean, superbly well done, Gladys. Superbly well done. What absolute Gold standard mismanagement you have presided over in well, this state. It gets, it gets a little bit. It gets a little bit worse. Um, uh, so let, let's go. Let's go through those numbers, and we'll get into the analysis of it because it's. I haven't seen my partner in a month. I am going through really hard stuff at this end, and just congratulations to everybody who thought it was more important to keep Louis Vuitton open than engage some basic safety procedures on behalf of the people of New South Wales and the rest of Australia. No, seriously, everybody, thanks, thanks, Gladys, thanks. Barilaro, thanks to all of you. I, I really hope you enjoyed the handbags. You were so desperate to get your hands on. It's it's an incredibly hard time and, and I miss you very much, darling. I think, you know, we are we are both very fortunate, but also but also struggling, like many people, like many many people, and I, and I just I just want to say that I miss I miss you so much. I'm I'm, I'm going to push through and, and mm. go through some of these numbers because I think it I think we we need to we do need to talk about the fact that you know there are 165 people in hospital in Sydney. Uh, and and of the 177 cases today, 68 were out in the community while infectious. Another 62 were under investigation. There are 56 people in intensive care, 22 people on ventilators, and now 11 people have died from this outbreak. And I think it just reinforces that point you made, Van, about the decision not to lock down hard and lockdown early is is a is a cost to the community that's being measured in lives now i just want to extend my love to everyone um everyone whose family is going through this everyone who i mean it's the lockdowns are awful and they're frustrating but I'm alive, my mother's alive, you're alive, and other families can't say that about their family members. Yeah. You know, like can you? what would it be like to be a parent or a partner or a child seeing the person you love on a ventilator, like knowing that we've been living with this disease for 16 months in this country and we know what has to be done and it wasn't done? It's Why not? It's a remarkable Remarkable failure of leadership. I do. I do, I do want to um, just give people a few more details 
uh, I'm sure you'll get, you know, you can get all this from the relevant health sites as well. The, the, the three-day testing regime in Sydney has been extended to include additional local government areas, Parramatta, George's River, Campbelltown. Uh, it already included Fairfield, Canterbury, Bankstown, Liverpool, Cumberland and Blacktown. Um, you know, if I can say that, that there's any good news on the COVID front in Australia, it's that Victoria has dropped down to eight cases Um uh, all of which were in isolation, although this afternoon it was announced that a health worker at a testing centre has tested positive for COVID and they're trying to rapidly trace the source. Victoria has only just reopened restaurants, retail. Uh, we still can't visit each other in, our, in each other's homes. Um, you know, Van, it's it's the failures that that are just so stark now, isn't it? You know, that... that the vaccine failure um, is costing people's lives and livelihoods, the failure to lock down properly, the failure to have proper quarantine. You know, it it's and it's killing people. Pardon? It's killing people. Yeah. It really is. It's killing people and it's causing people enormous amounts of stress and anxiety. It's not just depression about being stayed, being stuck at home. So I spoke to a friend of mine today whose 23-year-old son has a pre-existing condition and he qualifies to get the Pfizer vaccine. She's desperately worried about him. They're in Sydney, desperately, desperately worried but can't get a vaccination booked has tried everywhere, is constantly on the phone and the vaccines aren't there. So the anxiety of that parent about the health of her young adult son, and we know the Delta variant is absolutely ripping through young people now. I mean, the stories coming out of the United States of America are terrifying about just how they've seen an explosion of cases back to the same levels they had last year when 500,000, 600,000 people died. And, and this- you know, and the young people who are dying now too. There was a terrible story. I mean, there were so many coming out of America of a family where the son, who was in his 30s, perfectly healthy, wasn't vaccinated, but his elderly parents were, you know, and they, they're in their 70s pre-existing conditions. The whole family got coronavirus and the parents survived and the son didn't. And, and as I said on the on the weekend wrap, you know the, the woman, the woman who died on Saturday was the same age as me and had no pre-existing conditions. Um, she was thirty eight years old, and for Morrison now to be talking about having a gold medal run for getting everybody vaccinated and that we're going to be vaccinated by Christmas again, you know, it's a delusion. The models are saying February March twenty twenty two. You know, the, the pharmaceutical companies are saying, we're not real sure about some of these numbers. You know, the government's trying to make a big deal that we're no longer last in the OECD. We're now 36th out of 38. But Oh, wow. And, and can I just say? 36th out of 38. And, and when you... Go for gold, Australia. And when you get into the deep, you get under the hood just a little bit, like with so many things with the Morrison government, you get under the hood just a little bit, and you go, "Oh, yeah, that's not what it's, 
what it seems. New Zealand hasn't reported its numbers for a week because it's vaccinated so many of its people. It just hasn't been reporting, and it's still taken us a week to over, overtake them. And South Korea, um, as some people may be aware, has had a massive change of policy under a new government, and so they've been using these faulty in-home testing kits. Um, they've essentially adopted vaccine scepticism on, on, on a national level. And, and we're still only just overtaking them. Like it's taken, it's basically taken a collapse in 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 COVID management in South Korea for us to get above them, and for another country to stop recording their vaccination numbers for us to get above them. And and it just goes to the heart of the Morrison government's problem. They he is slow. A government of clowns. And it is a government of clowns, but it's a dangerous government of clowns. And and Van, I want to talk about what did happen on the weekend and I want to talk about the the Capitol riot hearings that have begun in the US. Because, you know, I'm not I'm not one of these people who sees a conspiracy in everything, right? Like People make decisions. They do things. The economy is millions of people making millions of decisions unilaterally, and it all sort of comes together. There's no grand conspiracy. Um, and this is the thing too. I mean, for our listeners, Ben and I have both been around politics for a very long time, you know, in various capacities. And the more you know about how politics works, you realise these people <laughs> couldn't organise a conspiracy. I'm always so amused when people are like, yeah, and they did this thing and it was massively coordinated. And I'm like, these these guys can't even run out of roll out a vaccine yeah, rollout. That's right. Like <laughs> their ability to keep massive secrets is zero. Like Oh, God, the 300,000 children who are supposedly entombed under the streets of Melbourne. Like, who is feeding them? How are they processing the waste? Like, who is the logistical genius uh, unknown to the rest of humanity who is running that? And, and because the reality is that, that, that most, most conspiracies are short-lived, blatantly obvious, and and involve very small numbers of people acting very very quickly, and and actually, what troubles me the most about what happened on the weekend is that the evidence points to there being coordination across countries um, of people who are trying to disrupt um, proper functioning. Uh, democratic countries uh, in order to make them less stable, in order to help foreign powers um, achieve their goals. And, and Yes, I want to be very clear on this. I want to give everybody the, the source for this. So there's a, a group called Logically uh, who are um, data researchers and they look at data patterns on the internet to trace like how movements are occurring and where trending topics start and the, the flow of information on the internet. And the protests that we saw in Sydney, Melbourne and other places on the weekend, protests that MP George Christensen personally attended in Queensland and was not condemned for doing so no, by Scott that's Morrison. that's a real worry Let's in just my view. remember that little yeah, detail. We'll come back to Those that. Those protests were centrally coordinated by a far-right group in Germany making and logically proved this, like published all their data maps about where this information was coming from, where the signal was sent out. They were picked up in protests all over the world. 
every single person who was on the streets in Sydney or Melbourne or anywhere else, George Christensen, was acting at the behest literally of a foreign campaign. Like the idea that far-right actors in Germany were driving this, planning it, messaging it, coordinating it, sending out instructions is desperately creepy, desperately Desperately creepy. And it makes a mockery of anybody who wrapped themselves in the flag, although I noticed they also wrapped themselves in the American and British flags, which was creepy and weird as yeah. well. Anybody who wants to wrap themselves in the Australian flag and then march out because they've been instructed to do so by a bunch of far-right Germans. You know, historically, we have fairly solid reasons as a country to have a problem oh, with historically, that. Historically, we've and refused to do that. And I think the term patriots <laughs> is not really an appropriate self-identifier for the people who are doing yeah. that, funnily and, enough. And I think, you know, this is the this is a part of the problem of the Morrison government, right, is that <laughs> he will defend George Christensen attending a rally organised by far-right actors in Germany, coordinated across the globe, as part of a network of destabilisation efforts as somehow being free speech and at the same time he will attack the rights of working people to fly the the, the Eureka flag <laughs> on construction sites as somehow being inappropriate, a flag which working people have flown in this country since before this country was called the Commonwealth of Australia. I mean, let's be fair, Scott Morrison's commitment to free speech doesn't go as far as allowing union members to strike without the threat of fines or imprisonment. I mean, the Liberals have been very aggressive in in limiting the free speech and freedom of association rights of union members in this country that we have fought back really hard against. But no problem with the free speech of people who dance the drum of international fascism. And I'd like to acknowledge, Ben, you may not know about this because you were preparing for the show, but uh, our friend Matt Canavan, oh. I'm such a fan, really, of Matt Canavan and his miraculous wardrobe of ordinary man costumes. Matt Canavan went on the Steve Bannon podcast oh and was God. promoting himself you know, as being on the Steve Bannon uh, podcast. Steve Bannon, who was a campaign organiser, of course, for Donald Trump. Steve Bannon, who was facing, like, felony charges for money laundering and fraud. Steve Bannon, who has been behind proto-fascism in America, literally, like, massive media interventions and dark media interventions and fake news campaigns to get far-right actors elected. Steve Bannon who quoted a fascist, a World War II-era fascist, a Nazi house guest, Julius Evola, in a speech he gave at the Vatican. Steve Bannon is a proto-fascist. He is pursuing a political agenda to establish a white ethno-state and Matt Canavan, an Australian MP, just went on his podcast. It is truly a terrifying idea that the Morrison government is either unwilling or unable to deal with these traitors within their own caucus. Um, and frankly, we have to use the democratic mechanisms that we still have to remove them. They have to be voted out because eventually we know what happens. History tells us what happens when you allow fascists under the guise of tolerance, under the guise of free speech to participate in democracy. That is that they'll participate up to a point 
where they no longer have to participate but can dominate and remove the democratic rights of other people. That's what happens. There's a German saying that I've, I don't know if I've quoted on the show, but I've used before. And it's if you have 10 people at dinner with a Nazi, you have 11 Nazis. And we have to ensure that that is not the future for this country. And anybody who attends, anybody who attends rallies organized by a foreign power to disrupt the safety of Australians dealing with a pandemic by somehow pretending that you being asked to wear a mask when you go to the supermarket is an infringement of your civil liberties, you are not, you are not a patriot. You are not a patriot. No, you are a traitor and you are a domestic extremist. That's right. That is what you are. And you, you belong... Uh, in jail, yeah. you you belong in a punished class of people who are breaking the law and defy like defying restrictions, and also physically endangering the community. And, and you know, we get it. We're 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 upset too, right? This is not the circumstance we want to see ourselves in. This is not how we want Australia to operate on a long-term basis with lockdowns. But the solution the solution is vaccination. The solution is proper quarantine facilities. The solution is listening to the health advice and implementing it rapidly, having a government that provides secure employment so people don't take illnesses from one work site to another work site to their home. They, there are solutions here that do not require you to do not require you to embrace the will of foreign fascists. And I would urge every Australian, every Australian to participate in the healthy democratic processes that are available, your unions, the ballot box, having discussions with members of your community in a way that is safe and respects the health directions. That's what we need to do. That's how we win this thing, not listening not listening to some egotistical, megalomaniacal, foreign-funded, foreign-manipulated worm-tongued individual who's proud of getting fined for exposing tens of thousands of people to a pandemic. That person is oh, not the solution. It is absolutely disgraceful. Look, I am terrified that the situation is going to deteriorate in New South Wales even further, that those demonstrations were a super spreader event because I, the, because people know I've, I'm writing this book about internet conspiracy cults and have been researching these people and I'm, you know, undercover in these communities Um you know, mm, observing mm, them mm. and all the nonsense they get up to. And heaps of the people who I observe were at the demonstrations, proud as punch. And let me tell you, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. Mm. These are not people who are approaching the situation with the, you know, intellectual sobriety that it deserves. You know, there are, I published some, some links about quotes that had appeared in various media that these people these people were breaking the law and filming themselves doing it and then were surprised that they were getting arrested. Yeah. And they were like, oh, if you believe in coronavirus, you probably also believe in the moon landing. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah 
we do believe in the moon landing because it's a provable thing that happened. Well, it's it's kind of amazing, and it's like let's not take instruction from those people about how to live or how to operate society. If those people ever find a way of making the rules, we're in real trouble. Well, this is the point, isn't it? Because the, you you've talked about and we've talked about before what happened on January 6th in America and the and the capital riots and and you know going on what you've just said it's it's almost as if we can look over the ocean and see the 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 end result or a possible future if we make the wrong choices and and you know that that includes the there were five people killed in that riot, you know, including a police officer. Uh, and, and I think it's worth us talking about, you know, I don't, people know I don't like to talk about the US too much anymore, but I think it is worth us talking about because it is tied to what is now happening right here in Australia, isn't it? Well, yeah, this is the thing. And this is why Matt Canavan appearing with Steve Bannon is so absolutely reprehensible, reprehensible, because Steve Bannon, of course, has been one of the masterminds of the Trump movement and using things like internet communities to push fake news and hard right narratives and physically mobilise people towards these kind of events and with just relentless, like, far-right propaganda, and he has been doing it for years. Mm. And, of course, that has flowered into this movement in the United States of these people who we saw the insurrectionists, the extremists, the domestic terrorists in America who now live in a completely sealed information environment where they consume channels like One American News and Newsmax. These days they think Fox News is too like left wing for them, which is genuinely terrifying. And they read all this fake news online and they they believe because all the media they consume and all the people they speak to has given them a completely distorted view of reality. So what happened, of course, was those people were inspired by whom, I wonder, to march on the Capitol building and riot and threaten to shoot Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic Speaker of the House, and to hang Mike Pence, who, by the way, was the Republican vice president chosen by Trump because Pence refused to hand the election to Trump because that would have been, oh, I don't know, anti-democratic and fundamentally illegal. So what happened was, yes, the riots, we all saw them, five people died, uh, Capitol officers committed suicide in the wake of the event. They were so traumatised. There were hundreds and hundreds of police injuries. Uh, like the things that happened to the police that day were absolutely extraordinary because it was an armed mob. They improvised weapons with hockey sticks and crutches, they used bear spray and wasp spray. They stole shields. They attacked police with their own batons. They tried to, like, spear police officers with American flags. At the same time, they were themselves waving flags, saying, back the blue and we love law enforcement. Well, those... Capitol Police officers have come out demanding justice. They are seriously traumatised by what happened. And I think for some who were perhaps um, on the conservative side of politics, it has been themselves as individuals, it has been very challenging for them to see, you know, people, you know, marching for the man they voted for commit violence against them. And, of course, what's happened is that the Democrats are like, we have to have a commission, we have to investigate mm. what happened. People died, you know, senators and congresspeople could have died as well. 
clearly somebody was helping these people out. They had a knowledge of the building that they probably should not have had. You know, there were coordinated actions. There were people in uniform. There were uh, walkie-talkies and all kinds of things going on that day. Well, the Republicans have done everything they can to stop an investigation. The Democrats put up an idea for an independent commission based on the 9-11 commission, the idea being that the Democrats and the Republicans would each pick a number of prominent Americans um, to, to form a, a, a yeah. genuinely independent commission to investigate what went on and hold hearings, um, the Republicans blocked it. So then uh, Nancy Pelosi got up a motion for there to be, they pursued a bipartisan commission that would include Democrats and Republicans um, that would, you know, be agreed to be bipartisan. Republicans blocked it. She put up a, a, a select committee, which so, you know, yeah. the Republicans block things, you've got to go to plan B, plan C, saying that, well, I will pick X number of Democrats and you guys can pick X number of Republicans, but if you don't, if I don't like who you have picked, I will knock them back. That got through because of the way the numbers work in um, in American the system. in the American system. Anyway, so the Republicans put up five guys, two of whom are the kind of Trump supporters that that you know have been pushing the lies about a stolen election. All these disproved fantasies that Trump somehow prevailed when he was beaten by 7 million votes and were disruptors and have been involved in all this, you know, fake news, Bannon-style garbage. And Nancy Pelosi went, no, no, I will not have these people seated. I will not put them on the committee. The point of this committee is to get to the truth of what happened and I'm knocking them back. So Kevin McCarthy, who's the minority leader, like the opposition Mm. leader equivalent, so he was like, fine, well, you can't have any Republicans and pulled all of these people. Well, that's not quite how the American system works. Like they're not like Australia. In Australia, parties have binding caucuses. So if you're Labor or Liberal, you all acted in In America, they all just do what they want. They call themselves. They do what they want. And And two very prominent critics of Donald Trump, who, by the way, are absolutely hardcore conservatives, one of whom is Liz Cheney from Wyoming, who's the daughter of Dick Cheney. Cheney. When I was was coming through uni then, can I just say, Cheney, the name Cheney inspires, I think, for a generation of Australians, this this vision of the most ultra-conservative, warmongering person you can imagine and then we got Donald Trump, and suddenly Liz Cheney seems like, oh, maybe the Cheneys are a little more reasonable. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the idea that the Cheneys are the voice of reason in this is genuinely terrifying. You may remember Dick Cheney from such popular hits as the Iraq yeah. War, um, and Liz Cheney is definitely from that family. Well, she has come out and absolutely she is no Trump supporter and she's a constitutional conservative and she's like there was an attack on our constitution, there was an attack on our system of government and I can, you know, I am a conservative and therefore I will defend the conservative value of the constitution. And she's an interesting one. There's a very famous line, like the thing about Liz Cheney, she's not she's not there to make friends. She doesn't care about making friends. Yeah. You know, she um, she's a person with whom I do not like her politics, but my I do admire her principles. So she was like, yeah, I'll be on the commission, no problem, because she's getting death threats from Trump Republicans and these people constantly, and she's a bit tougher than they are and does not care. And the other um, Republican who put his, who um, 
Pelosi invited to be on the commission who put his hand up is a guy called Adam Kinzinger who's from Illinois who once upon a time would have been considered a poster boy of the Republican Party. You know, he's ex-military, he's in the Air National Guard, he's an evangelical Christian, he's a neocon, like he is a right-wing conservative guy. But he's another one who's like, this is disgusting. What is happening to our country? How on earth did we get to this position? So they both put, they both accepted an invitation from Pelosi and they've gone in this commission with all of these Democrats. And it's an interesting selection of Democrats as well. They're investigative de- Democrats, people like Adam Schiff who were involved in the impeachment process and things like that, very technically minded, very fair, very abreast of rule of mm. law kind of issues. And, of course, the hearing started within the past 24 hours and they started with um, this group of Capitol Police officers and, my God, my well, God, the testimony of what those guys wanna, went through. I want to talk about some of that because I, I sometimes think, you know, we, we in Australia look at what happened on the weekend and we dismiss the people who went as idiots and, and you know, oh, it, it's bad if they spread COVID but, they're, you know, otherwise harmless idiots. Um, let's be really clear where this this sort of pathway leads to because they they spoke to four police officers today. One of them, um, and I'm going to get people's names wrong and I apologise, but Officer Michael Fanone, who was beaten unconscious, beaten unconscious, had a heart attack, had a heart attack. He was repeatedly tased and he ended up with a traumatic brain injury because he was repeatedly electrocuted with tasers that the protesters had brought to the Capitol building. He was, they chanted, kill him with his own gun and forced him to beg for his life, pleading with the rioters that he was a father who had children and then they tased him repeatedly until he was unconscious from his heart attack. Um, there was Officer Daniel Hodges who, while giving testimony, was seen to be visibly trembling as they showed footage of him being pummeled by rioters. Um, he was he was quite um, visibly the face of what happened on that day because he was the one who was jammed in the doors. Yeah. Like he realised that it was literally his body between the riders and the congressional and Senate representatives who they were protecting. And he was wearing a gas mask. Um, a man seized his gas mask and punched him in the face with his own gas mask, uh, took his baton and uh, beat him with his own baton until his mouth was broken. It was covered in blood. And then they uh, repeatedly punched him in the ribs with the shield that had been stolen from police while he was trapped in the doors. And, I mean, he was convinced he was going to die. They were convinced they were going to die. One of the other guys, um, uh, 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 Sergeant Gunnell, who was there, who gave testimony yesterday and who who wept during his testimony, described the air leaving his lungs and being aware that he was going to die in in the service of his job. You know, like it was, it's extraordinary stuff, especially because since that happened, those Capitol Police officers 
have seen the Republicans who ex- insist that they are the great champions of the cops and they are, you know, we back the blue and the thin blue line and the rest of it, have abandoned them, totally abandoned them. They're, when Fanon was in uh, the Capitol building pushing for this inquiry to find out what the hell happened to make sure it would never happen again, there were Republicans who refused to shake his hand. This is a man who almost died protecting them from that mob you know, like it's amazing, but the the most chilling testimony. I mean, all of it's all of it's shocking. Yeah. But one of the Capitol police officers, who, who I believe his name is Harry Dunn, who talked about what had happened to him and the racial abuse that he had been subjected to, which I won't repeat, no. but to hear it in his own words about what the Trump mob said to him and dehumanized him and described him, it is absolutely horrendous and to their credit we all know americans are very delicate about swearing and they you know they edit things out and you get a lot of bleeps and the rest of it they have shown his testimony word for word swear words racial epithets and all in order so people can fundamentally understand just what that mob was what they stood for and who their targets were. And it's just you weep. You just absolutely weep. And as an Australian, you weep for thinking if those ridiculous protests on the weekend aren't shut down and if those people aren't given a very clear social message, then what they do is unacceptable. They will keep pushing it. They will keep trying it and we could end up in exactly the same situation. And it it really is, you know, it it becomes – a spiral, doesn't it? You know, um, Sergeant Cannell, you know, he he sort of lashed out a little bit in his testimony and you can understand why. Like this is a guy who, as you say, thought he was going to die. He was sprayed with chemicals by the protesters. He, he, he talked about having to push away his own wife and child when he finally made home because he was covered in bear spray and things like that. Um, and, you know, when he was told, oh, you know, well, Donald Trump said that they were just very, they were a very loving crowd, you know, he did lash out at that um, and he apologised for lashing out, you know, and that and that to me, you know, that almost broke my heart that here's a guy who, who's gone through all of this, who's literally put his life on the line, defended the democratic state of America, um, has has had an emotional moment reliving that trauma uh, and verbally lashed out um, about that and has instantly apologised, gone, what I said was wrong. Despite everything I've been through, everything I've had to suffer, my family's had to suffer, my colleagues have had to suffer, no, no, I I will immediately apologise. At the same time, there are people in that building, elected representatives who won't you know, who wouldn't shake his hand before that moment, who won't apologise, who refuse to acknowledge their role in what was an act of domestic terrorism in the United States and are now fomenting that around the world. Oh, you know, it was amazing. So the Republicans, the House Minority Leadership, Mr McCarthy and Elise Stefanik who got promoted to replace Liz Cheney in the food chain in the Republican Party, They gave literally the world's most insulting press conference where they were like, oh, what happened that day was all Nancy Pelosi's fault because she's the Speaker of the House and she didn't stop it from happening. 
And it was literally a, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself kind of moment? And it was just like, and somebody made the point, they were carrying Trump flags, love. They weren't carrying Pelosi flags. Also, it's not her responsibility. She's not in charge of Capitol Hill security. And if you're trying to blame her, why aren't you blaming Mitch McConnell, the Republican, who has the equivalent, who at the time had the equivalent position in the Senate? And the reason why is because it's all lies. And the Republicans, and Kinzinger and Cheney have said this, have just they've decided that it is more valuable to them to back in a fantasy than it is to deal with reality. And it was really interesting. Like you should listen to Liz Cheney's speech because Nancy Pelosi, who, by the way, is probably the cleverest political operator in the world, Mm. um, she got – uh, Liz Cheney to give the opening remarks and her opening remarks are just chilling where she is unabashed about saying I am a conservative but I swore a solemn oath to defend our system of government and I will do that and Kinziger burst into tears like and even said you know I didn't expect to be this emotionally confronted by what I'm hearing but this is just a betrayal of every value that Americans stand for. Like this threatens our whole system of self-governance. And somebody said, you know, like we didn't have a peaceful transfer of power like yeah. around this election. We didn't have one. Our entire system of government, self-government, is based around the peaceful transfer of power and that didn't happen. I mean these are chilling times for America and I think, you know, Americans of good conscience are desperately trying to fight back against this kind of authoritarian impulse, which, by the way, has been the long-term aim and ambition of Steve Bannon for decades. Yeah. He has been planning for this. He has been resourcing these movements. He has been encouraging these people. He has been quoting Nazis and looking to international fascism and trying to smash up the European Union and any kind of democratic entity that could possibly slow the spread of authoritarian ideas. That is what he's doing. And Matt Canavan, an Australian senator, is legitimizing Bannon by going on his podcast. It is. In the midst of all of this. It is an outrageous failure of the Morrison government to defend the safety of Australians and to defend the integrity of our Commonwealth to allow members of his government to participate in actions coordinated by these foreign powers and to engage with and legitimise the propagandists like Bannon who put forward their ideas and seek to legitimise them and have them legitimised by engaging people like Matt Canavan. These are... Oh, it's just, it's unbelievable. Like, I despise Matt Canavan. This is a person, I dislike his politics, and he has no principles. He is the most self-serving, opportunistic, like, and uh, the costume changes I find actually deceitful. I'm going to dress up like a coal miner. I'm going to dress up like a farmer. I'm going to dress up like a daggy dad. And I think... Anybody who pays attention to history will notice that fascists have a great love of dress up, whether they're dressing up in slick black Hugo Boss or putting feathered plumes in their hats while they march to Rome or strutting about in Madrid. Fascists have traditionally loved to play dress up. So you can put that together in your own mind. Look, Van, we've dealt with some heavy topics. We've been upset. 
most of the nation is upset. But there are some good news stories in the world, and I think there's a couple actually coming out of the US of all places. I know, right? I know. I was just thinking that. I was like, thank God for the state of Maine. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be absolutely broken by the events of this week. So state of Maine uh, actually passed some laws in 1989 about getting their plastic consumption to 50%, and they have never made it. Yep. So they've had laws on the books about encouraging um, a reduction in plastic waste, and they they haven't they they wanted to recycle half of the plastic waste in the state. Maine, I've been there, literally one of the most beautiful places in, in, in imaginable. It is so absolutely staggeringly beautiful, and I was there in autumn. All the trees are red and yellow, like unbelievably beautiful place. And obviously, a huge tourism economy in that particular state. They need clean water. They need clean air. And, you know, and they've had this problem that they have a plastic waste problem yeah. like everywhere else in the world. So the regulatory environment didn't work, so they have decided to step it up. And they have brought in this amazing mechanism where finally, finally they're putting the cost of plastic waste and unrecyclable material back on the producers, back on the companies. And what they've done is they've created this mechanism by which those companies have to pay. Um, there's an evaluation process that goes on where the state determines how much uh, a product costs in waste, like, you, you know, what it will what it will cost for that product yeah. to be safely disposed of and safely processed and the rest of it, and they're charging the companies. And they've created these stewardship organisations, which are the ones who deal with recycling this stuff. So this has implications for Australia because, remember, we were exporting all of our recycling overseas Mm. and then we didn't have to think about it and then China said, yeah, we're not taking this anymore. And just all of a sudden we had a problem. So one of the, the reasons why we have such a terrible plastic waste problem on the planet is because at the time when plastic sort of really got popular within the production chain, there was a movement, a legislatory movement to um, to make producers pay for what would happen to that waste. And, of course, they fought it and bought off various politicians and, and the compromise that they would pay for Keep America Beautiful and Keep Australia Beautiful campaigns, the corporations were putting it on the consumer that you are yeah. responsible for dealing with this waste and not us. But the state of Maine has gone, no, 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 we will tell you how much these things cost and if you don't like paying that, it's up to you to deal with the waste that you are using in your production and processes. So that's fantastic that news. I, I, I'd like to talk about the other piece of good news out of Maine if I can because it, it relates to it. I know because this is one of your favourite subjects. You're so niche. Yeah, I, I have very niche subjects. This, it relates to PFAS, which is a chemical, a series of chemicals that are famously, in Australia, famously used in firefighting. Um, uh, liquids and um, in parts of Queensland there have been problems with PFAS contamination and in Fiskville in Victoria uh, where there was a CFA training facility that had to be shut down because PFAS gets into the water table um, and has been linked to um, cancer, causing cancer and of course that's not an acceptable risk. Um, But in America, where the laws are different, um, PFAS is used in all sorts of things. It's used on Teflon pans. It's used on raincoats. It's used to line popcorn bags. Uh, but again, the state of Maine 
has come and brought together an alliance of of companies in the state, so representing 23 23 brands, 84,000 physical stores, and $570 billion worth of sales. To put that into context, I I can't think of a single Australian company that would have $570 billion of sales. it, and not even Louis Vuitton. Not even, not even, not even Louis Vuitton in Sydney. But they have, um, they are banning the use of PFAS. So they will be removing this as as part of the production process. And the the knock on effect is that millions of Americans um, will no longer be. Um, subjected to, exposed to, have PFAS in their water. And, of course, the knock-on health effects will be generations of, of Americans who are less likely to suffer from cancer as a result. Fantastic outcome, fantastic news, you know, and hopefully we'll see other places do the same. The, these sorts of... Um, Hazardous materials are in many, many things, and it is important that we regulate them. So um, thankfully, that is one that Australia is um, on the front foot about uh, PFAS. And now Maine is there as well. Well, yeah, and the state of Oregon has just announced that they're going to follow <laughs> Maine's example and they don't think they'll be at the last. So it's just, I mean, it's good because, I mean, America is such a powerful, powerful, like, market and and um you know capitalist force in the world and if the the nature of production changes in america it changes everywhere and things like you know putting in a like putting appropriate costings around you know corporate products like if you're going to put plastic in this and make us clean it up well we're going to charge you for this i mean that changes that drives innovation and that drives improvement and that drives an attitude towards waste, which reduces it, and that has implications for everyone else. So they were happy stories out of America. It's a happy way for us to end the week on Wednesday. You can probably now hear it's pouring with rain here. Germanicus is crying. Uh, We've had a very emotional episode. I just want to say once again thank you to everyone for listening. I do want to say, and I'm going to give another plug to our sponsors, Australian Unions, you know, it is the time to join your union is now. It is absolutely the right time. You want to see positive change in the world? You want to see things get better? Join a movement of people who want the same thing, who want positive change. That is the union movement. AustralianUnions.org.au slash wow, W-O-W. That's how we make change happen. Even when there's a conservative government, unions are still getting wins when it comes to wages, safety in the workplace, wage subsidies, all sorts of important things, superannuation. And if you do join your union as a result of listening to this show, tell us about it. We love it. It brings us such joy. And frankly, Ben and I are having a tough time. We are separated. You know, we have complex, difficult adult things going on in our lives. You know, and we just, we need good news just like everybody else. And we love, love, love hearing that people are joining their unions. It makes us feel like stronger in the things that we stand for and the values that we know everybody listening to our program shares. So thank you so much to everyone for listening. Please do share, subscribe. 
talk to your friends, talk to your family, get these messages out there. Share these messages as broadly as you possibly can on every channel, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, send people emails. People do still read them. Snapchat. <laughs> Isn't that what the young people use? Yeah, I haven't got I haven't got to that one yet, but I don't really get Snapchat. You know, Instagram. you know that you're a <laughs> from a different generation when you don't get the latest social media and I'm like I don't even know how to turn this thing on so there you go there you go but that is the show I've got to say everyone one of the highlights of my mother and mine's uh, current confinement is explaining Instagram to my mother <laughs> who thinks that she has to read out all of the comments that people write on Instagram pictures. And I'm like, Mama, I think I can look those up. And she's like, no, 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 let me tell you what it said. And it's adorable and I love her. Uh, well, that is the show for this week. Don't forget to tune in to the Weekend Wrap. And thank you to everyone who's been listening to that. Our audience there is growing as well. I love you and I miss you so much, Fanny. Oh, I miss you so much. And hopefully, hopefully we'll get on top of this COVID situation and we can be together again soon. Wouldn't that be nice? I love you. I love you too. Bye. You're the best. <laughs>